0: It's Rev Deb and I'm here with you for week 48 of our text keys where we will be covering chapter 29 3 through section 8 So why don't we get quiet for a moment inviting the Holy Spirit in Allowing him to bring us that wisdom and that peace and the understanding of this section we thank you Holy Spirit for your presence in our minds. Amen. So let's get going on section three of chapter 29. Here we're on page 611. We only have a, what, two more chapters or so left to go. So section three is God's witnesses. And so he starts us off with condemn your Savior not because he thinks he is a body. Oh, remember we've been talking about the body. And even though it is very real to us, it really is an illusion, and, and we can allow the Holy Spirit to tra- to translate or to uh, use it for his purpose. And even though we have these needs of the body that it's seeming, seeming uh, ha- that we have, as <laughs> a trip over words here, still it can be used for his purposes. Are we going to allow that to occur? That's what we have to to, to uh, realize for ourselves. Are we going to allow ourselves to be used by the Holy Spirit? So, when we look at our brother, are we going to see the body of our brother, or are we going to see the truth about our brother? That's what it is. He can save us in the sense that when we forgive him, we're forgiving ourselves, and we're seeing that we are not separate; that we are one, indeed. So as it goes on a little bit more, he tells us that, you know, do you think the father lost himself when he created you? No, he extended himself. He shared his love. He made you perfect. Could he make something that was not perfect? You know, there's that old saying, God didn't make junk, right? He made us perfect. So in three, he says, within the dream of bodies and of death is yet one theme of truth no more perhaps than just a tiny spark, a space of light created in the dark where God still shines. That's what's important, that even though we or our brothers are involved in so much pain and suffering and and hurt, uh, anger, whatever it is, that that tiny spark of light is still there, still try to see that no matter what's going on in this person's life and their personality and their quirks and all that is that the light is still there no matter what. No matter what, the light is there within that person. And I try to remember that as, as you may know, I've been married a few times. This is my fourth marriage and hopefully my last. (laughs) But I've had had difficult relationships in the past. Uh, There was a lot of pain, abuse, that sort of thing that occurred. And what I try to remember, and even telling my children, is that even though, and uh, my elder two daughters, uh, their dad has had a lot of mental issues and and some other things that have gone on, and I said, even though he did do those things that he did, he he was pretty violent verbally and physically uh, towards me, is that there is still that spark within him. The truth is still there there's still good in him no matter what he has done on the outside and I always wanted to remember that and lately uh, recently I have heard and I haven't been with him for over 20 years uh, but I have heard that uh, he's finally getting some mental health help and some medication and getting his act together even after his second wife um, threw him out a couple years ago and I was glad to hear that recently Uh, Because I really do want to see that good within him, no matter what, no matter what he has said and done to me, and it was pretty terrible uh, by the world's eyes, but to remember that God still shines in him. And so remember that when you're looking at your brothers, uh, whether it's a family member, a friend, an ex-spouse, ex-partner, remember that, that the light is still there. Do you want to see the darkness? Do you want to focus in on that darkness or do you want to see the light in that person? Because what you're focusing on is what you're focusing on within your own self. So the coming of the light means the darkness is gone. So focus on that light. It will make such a difference in your life. I know it did for me. It gave me that opportunity to forgive him and also to forgive myself. So. And four, he says, make way for love, which you did not create, but which you can extend. You can extend love. On earth, this means to forgive your brother, that the darkness may be lifted from your mind. Because we're the ones that are seeing our brother through the darkness, through the dark veil, right? When light has come to him through your forgiveness, he will not forget his Savior, leaving him unsaved. For it was in your face he saw the light. That he would keep beside him as he walks through darkness to the everlasting light. Isn't that a beautiful paragraph there? And we are holy. We can allow the other person, whoever that may be for us, to be our Savior. And we can have gratitude for that. Offer gratitude, offer love for this person who has given us this opportunity. To remember the truth and that's what we need to remember is everything that comes our way is an opportunity to remember the truth that's what we want that's what we're here for that's what this course is telling us over and over and over again remember the truth and in his glad salvation you are saved so let's go into our next section and that would be four dream rules. so do you believe that truth can be some but some illusions do you believe the truth can be but some illusions they are dreams because they are not true their equal lack of truth becomes the basis for the miracle which means that you have understood that dreams are dreams and that escape depends not on the dream but only on awaking you want to hang on to some dreams? And that's what we do. We hang on to some dreams where we may really know like, oh, other things are uh, not a dream. Or we we know that they are a dream, but we're hanging on to things that we think aren't a dream. It's like, well, I can handle this myself, Holy Spirit. You know, you handle these things over here. Yep, I, I realize that these things over here are a dream, but maybe we're holding on to some things that, nope. You know, maybe I was still holding on to some ideas about, Uh, you know, one of my ex-spouses is like, well, maybe I did want to hang on to that. You know, it's like, oh, I can forgive this one, but I can't forgive this one over here. Well, it's all a dream. And it's all a dream to show me where I need that healing. So the dreams you think you like would hold you back as much as those in which the fear is seen. For every dream is but a dream of fear. No matter what form it takes, every dream is. The fear is seen within, without, or both. Or it can be disguised, and this is something we have to pay attention to, it can be disguised in pleasant form. You have to remember this world is all an illusion, it is all a dream. Even the beautiful uh, sunsets and the sunrises and the mountains and the uh, waterfalls and uh, babies being born, all these things, I know it's hard to believe, But even in the pleasant form, it's still fear because it's hiding the truth from us. It's hiding us from God. And that's what we have to remember. The form can change, it's going to be made into something else. So the miracle helps us to see what the truth is. It shifts our perception. That's the idea of the miracle. So. We can, uh, as he says in three, then, in simplest form, it can be said attack is a response to function unfulfilled as you perceive the function. It can be in you or someone else, but where it is perceived, it will be there it is attacked. Depression or assault must be the theme of every dream, for they are made of fear. The thin disguise of pleasure and of joy in which they may be wrapped, but slightly veils the heavy lump of fear that is their core. And it is this the miracle perceives. The miracle sees through this. That even though we get uh, entranced by things of beauty and things that are bringing us pleasure and seeming happiness, that it's still covering over heaven. It's keeping us separate. It's not showing us the oneness. It's just making the dream more livable, uh, you know, that we can have Uh, nice things or we can go on vacations or see these beautiful sights in our world that's still a distraction from God. So now in four, he goes to, when you're angry, is it not because someone has failed to fill the function you allotted him? Ah, Let's think about that. And so that is why then we think our attack is justified. When we're angry, right? Disappointed in what somebody's doing, it's because We had it set in our mind how they should be, how they should act, and then they didn't do it. And now we're disturbed, and now we're angry. So do you want to be happy or not? Here we go again, right? Happy or bright? So let go of the control that you have. How happy we could be if you were not the one who gave the proper role to every frig figure which the dream contains, right? If we said our family had to act this way, our co-workers had to act this way, or our boss, or uh, the government needs to act a certain way, and we pegged it on that and said they have to act that, and that's how I'm going to be happy. That's always putting our happiness outside of us. We have to remember happiness is only from within us when we know our true self. So now at the end of this section, he says, well, what is your brother for? You do not know because your function is obscure to you. We don't even know. Do not ascribe a role to him that you imagine would bring happiness to you. You know, well, if they change, well, then I'm going to be OK. And do not try to hurt him when he fails to take the part that you assigned to him. You know, if that family member isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing, You know, they're not loving me the way I want. You can't attack them because you are the one that started first. You wanted it a certain way. You said it had to be this or I want it thus. If you remember earlier in the text, I want it thus. And yet that person is not doing what we wanted. So do not try to hurt him when he fails to take the part that you assigned to him and and what you dream your life was meant to be. He asks for help in every dream he has, and you have helped to give him if you see the function of the dream as he perceives its function. Who can utilize all dreams as means to serve the function given him? Function, forgiveness, right? Because he loves the dream or not the dream, he being the Holy Spirit, Each dream becomes an offering of love, for at its center is his love to you, which lights whatever form it takes with love. So it can always be translated, it always be interpreted into love, instead of into the fear that we translate it into. So let's take a look at our next section, which is section five, the changeless dwelling place. So he says that there's a place within us that the whole world has been forgotten, that there's no memory of the illusion at all. Time is gone. No no idea of time, but there's a resting place within us that gladdens us, that brings us peace. He says we cannot change this dwelling place at all. Our identity abides there. Where is that? That's heaven. That's The changelessness of heaven is always within us. It's so deep that nothing in this world can touch it. Nothing can change it. And peace surrounds us always and always. So here is the rule the Holy Spirit gives to you who wait upon the Son of God. Paragraph 3. And would behold him, waken, and be glad. We are our Father's Son. Our brother is our Father's Son. Don't see anything else but that within us both. The peace in us can be found in our brother. and every thought of love you offer him, but brings you nearer to your awakening, to peace eternal and to endless joy. So if you remember like in the Holy Encounter pieces that we talked about some time ago, as you see him, you will see yourself. As you know him, you will know yourself. As you love him, you will love yourself. That's what we're being told here. So every brother here, every person that you meet is also a sacred son of God. It's a mirror of God's love to us. Are we going to see it? He says it's a soft reminder of our father's love. And so when we encounter our brothers, remember I talked about a little bit ago, That seeing that light within that person. Well, now he's saying, be very still and listen to the voice of God within this person now. Let it tell you what his function is. He was created so we would be whole. So we would be one. So this is what our Father asks of us. That we see in all creation his glory. His glory. It's a perfect gift. He extended himself. Perfect gift. The quiet that surrounds you dwells in your brother. And from this quiet comes the happy dreams in which your hands are joined in innocence. That's the goal. Beyond forgiveness. Keeping the light as our focus. He gives us our brothers he shows us that our brothers could be our gift to us to bless our brothers my holiness blesses so here it is this is the dream we can have that our brother is our savior not our enemy that's what's important and so instead of focusing on the fear and the separation, the core of fear in every dream, is what he's saying at the very end here. Kept apart from use by him who sees a different function for a dream. When dreams are shared, they lose the function of attack and separation. Yet nothing in the world of dreams remains without the hope of change and betterment. Let us be glad that there's forgiving dreams that are a way to step aside and see the eternal instead. This will give us peace and have everlasting life. So step aside in your life. Stop holding on to those grievances and those attacks. See your brother with the light and the love and the peace that he is for you. So let's look at our next section. Section 6, Forgiveness and the End of Time. How willing are you to forgive your brother? Listen to these questions he asks us at the top here. How much do you desire peace instead of endless strife and misery and pain? These questions are the same but in different form. Forgiveness is your peace. From herein lies the end of separation and the dream of danger and destruction, sin and death, madness, murder, all of that. Grief, loss, that's a sacrifice. How much do you want peace? How much is it important to you? So now he says, swear not to die, you holy Son of God. You make a bargain that you can't bargain that you cannot keep. The Son of Life cannot be killed. We are immortal. Not these bodies, but the essence of who we are as the Son of God. God's Son can never change. What God has created cannot be changed. Our essence of who we are cannot be changed, cannot be uh, enter into destruction at all. Now, we've tried to do that, right, from the ego standpoint, from the fear, keeping us away from God, keeping us distracted, keeping all these things going on as we focus on what other people are doing and they're not fulfilling the roles that we want them to. And that's what gets us, all tied up in the knots but here it is we can change we can give ourselves a break we can give our brothers a break change is the greatest gift God gave to all that you would make eternal to ensure that only heaven would not pass away you were not born to die you cannot change because your function has been fixed by God things here in the world will change but not what God has created not heaven not at all And he says it towards the end here, the world is going to bind your feet, tie your hands, and kill your body if you think that it was made to crucify God's Son. How are you going to see this world? See it as a way to remember the truth. Forgiveness is our function. So now give it a different purpose. Join with the Holy Spirit. Give it a different purpose. Forgiveness of ourselves. Forgiveness as ourselves as God's Son. That we did nothing wrong with the separation. We have nothing to sacrifice. We have nothing to fear. That we can be free and happy just like that by realizing we did nothing wrong. We hold so much guilt. It's time to let it go and just allow the quietness and the joy, the quiet joy, to come in and to be at peace. And so let's look at our next section, which is seven, seek not outside yourself. Big section here, right? Don't seek outside yourself because if you do, it's always going to fail. And we're going to weep each time an idol falls. Every time we place someone or something, uh, even the world itself, up when it fails us in some way. I mean, just look at. Uh, those heroes or celebrities that we put up on a pedestal and then we find out something about them or our spiritual teacher or whatever. Anytime we put somebody above us, they're always going to fall. There's always going to be something that comes up that's going to stir up our ire, right? And we're going to get upset about it. So we if we search outside of ourselves, we're always going to have pain. It's a futile search for what you want, insisting where it must be found. And then what if it's not there? What if it's not there in that spiritual teacher? What if you lifted me up as, as a, a perfect person, a perfect teacher? And I make mistakes, and I do. You know, it's like, don't hold me up either because I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to do things that you may not like. That's part of the world, that's part of the dream that we live in. So don't put your happiness in me or any other spiritual teacher or anyone. Don't make anyone an idol because then if you get upset and you have pain about it, it's because you've placed it in that person you said that's where my happiness is so do you want to be right or do you want to be happy is what he's saying you prefer it and he says be you glad that you are told where happiness abides and seek no longer elsewhere where is the happiness it's within us because otherwise we're going to fail but we know the truth now and we know we don't have to seek outside of ourselves No one who comes here but but must still have hope. Some lingering illusion or some dream that there is something outside of himself that will bring happiness and peace to him. We're still looking to the world to satisfy what we want within us. What is the purpose? Give it a purpose. Let this world be that purpose that helps you to remember the oneness. Remember the peace of heaven. So instead of seeking out thousands and thousands of idols, which we do, we've been doing it for a long time. When we're searching outside, it's showing us that we don't feel whole within ourselves. It could be a relationship, whatever it may be. This world is the ultimate, right? Because we don't see That we're whole. That what God created was whole. And so we are here in this world and we think we need to be punished. But idols, when you put that idol up, it has to fall. It has to fall. Because it shows us that it's not true. Shows us it's not true. So, worshiping idols, because you think it's going to bring you peace, it will never you peace. You're always going to be disappointed. God dwells within and your completion lies only in Him. So do that inner work. Do that connection within yourself to God. No idol can take the place of God. So don't look to idols. Do not seek outside yourself. And there's a lot more here as this section ends as well you know opening up a road of hope and of release and what appears to be an endless circle of despair there's a way out there's always a way out of the misery or pain or upset that you may be feeling there's always a way out you have to decide for that way out are you going to decide for it so your idols do what you would have them do and have the power you ascribe to them We talk to that. We we, we give that idol that power. And then when that person or thing or whatever doesn't do what we wanted, the world, it doesn't work. We're unhappy because we want that power. We want it to be our way. We want total control. And that's what we're afraid of giving up. We're afraid that if we join with God, we're giving up that little bit of control that we think we have, that power to make our world the way we want it. What we don't realize is what we're joining is something so far greater. So we have to stop hiding from God. We're afraid of God, and we hide from God. We use these idols as protection. So stop using the idols. It could be anything. The fear of God is but the fear of loss of idols. All these things that we have surrounded ourselves, the world itself, we use it as a protection, as a safety, as a padding, because we are so afraid of God and the the punishment that he would strike us down. So we've even made this reality in this world, the seeming reality in this world, an idol itself, the body, everything. Because we're so afraid of God and what he's going to do to us. The thing is, he's not going to do anything. He loves us and that's it. These idols can't take place of God. Let him remind you of his love for you. Do not seek to drown his voice in chants of deep despair to idols of yourself. Seek not outside your father for your hope for hope of happiness is not despair. That's how that section is. So we have one more section to go. And so this section is the Antichrist. And so he talks about, well, what is an idol? Do you think you know? They're unrecognized as such. So the whole thing of an idol is that they're there to obscure. uh, And they are feared and worshiped because you do not know what they're for and why they have been made. An idol is an image of your brother that you would value more than what he is. We value our brother more than what he is. Right? We have that special relationship. He says, be it a body or a thing, a place, a situation or a circumstance, an object owned or wanted or a right demanded or achieved, it's all the same. Let not the form deceive you. Idols are substitutes for your reality. In some way, you believe they're going to complete you. They have something that I think I don't have. And because of that, I think I'm going to be whole. So if it's, you know, whatever these things are, right? He said a body, thing, place, situation, circumstance, idea, a right, whatever. We think without that, I am not whole. That we think it's going to complete us. But then when it doesn't do what we think it's going to do, then we're upset and we feel the pain. And so when we are believing in these idols, we have enslaved ourselves to littleness and to loss. So we have to seek beyond our little self. We have to raise our head. You he have to have the strength to raise your head. And the thing is, when we can see beyond it, And that's where the quiet calm will liberate us, will free us from this world, and we will stand in quiet and in peace. Amen, amen, hallelujah to that, right? An idol is a false belief. We don't want what's false. We want what is true. What is true is God in heaven and who we truly are. What he extended himself. We are love, and that's all we are, how many times has this been repeated here? We are in chapter 29. It's still being repeated for us. He wants us to know this. The world of idols is a veil across the face of Christ. Its purpose is to separate. That's what it's for, whatever we're holding on to. Remember what he said in the page before? It could be anything that's keeping us separate from one another. An idol is nothing. We believe in it and it seems to have life. Right? The miracle helps us with this. The idol exists because we have belief in it. The miracle restores to what does have life. The trueness of us, right? Love, heaven, the oneness we share. The miracle does not restore the truth. The light the veil between is not put out. It merely, it merely lifts the veil, lets this truth shine through. That's what it does. So when we withdraw the belief from the idol, the idol disintegrates. This is the Antichrist. And this is what he's talking about here. So now we can transcend instead. So there's no where an idol is. There's no gap. There's nothing. It's it's, it's nothing at all. Just like this world is an illusion. An idol is an illusion. And he says towards the end here, paragraph 8, what purpose has an idol then? What is it for? This is the only question that has many answers, each depending on the one of whom the question has been asked. The world believes in idols. It's true. No one comes unless he worships them and still attempts to seek for one that yet might offer him a gift reality does not contain. Remember, it could be anything. Have you gone from relationship to relationship? Have you gone to one spiritual path to another path? Have you gone from one ideology to another? Have you gone to one uh, state or country to another? You're seeking, you're seeking, you're seeking. You're never going to find, right? That's what it's all about. So we withdraw our belief and our worship of the idol. It doesn't seem like we're worshiping it. But when we're defending it strongly, we are worshiping it. Even the Course. Even this Course can become an idol for us. God has one Son. In heaven with the Son of God but laugh if idols could intrude upon his peace. It is for him the Holy Spirit speaks and tells you idols have no purpose here. It's like, be gone. (laughs) If you remember in the Wizard of Oz, right? You have no powers here. That's exactly what it is. Glinda the Good Witch, remember? She said, be gone before somebody drops a house on you. You have no power here. That's exactly what this is. You have no power here in, in heaven. The idols, the illusion, have no place. God gave you everything. So, Claim it. Be happy of what you are, who you are. You can never be content with nothing less. So that ends our um, readings for this week. Uh, In week 49 we will be looking at um, another section uh, within here. I think we only have one more section in 29. Yep, that's correct. We have one more section in 29. And then we'll be looking at section 30. Uh, uh, I mean, Chapter Thirty, through Section Four. So we'll be looking at the rules for decision in a little bit in the uh, the next session. So thanks so much for joining with me, and as always, I wish you peace. <laughs>